Budapest in his capacity as an advisor to the Prime Minister, but would join us when I was born. He made it through the chaos of the combat lines two weeks after I was born. The Red Army was sweeping through Hungary. American bombs fell hourly from the sky. During one bombing, as my mother raced down the stairs with me in her arms, the roof collapsed onto the stairway. I was knocked from her arms as she and my father were propelled down the stairs. When it was over, desperate, they searched for me and couldn't find me. They thought I had been covered by the rubble. They finally found me. An old woman had picked me up. She had taken her babushka and covered my mouth with it. She had saved my life. The apartment house had taken a direct hit. My parents lost everything but one suitcase. The suitcase was filled with cartons of cigarettes to be used as currency in this ravaged new world. My father decided after that bombing that we had to leave Hungary. He drove us in his small car from Subate toward the Austrian border. Refugees and retreating Nazis and Hungarian soldiers were everywhere. American fighter pilots buzzed the treetops and machine-gunned the cars below. They machine-gunned us, but my father roared over a ditch and into the trees. We crossed the Austrian border and were incarcerated by the Nazis. The Nazis took us to a camp called Mauthausen. It was a Shido extermination camp, filled with Jews from all over Europe. The Nazis put us on the same diet as the Jews, nothing but pine needle soup. A German soldier gave my mother a sliced-in-half gasoline can so she could bathe me. We were at Mauthausen for two months. One morning the Germans were gone. The war was over. We were free. That's what my father told me, and I, of course, believed him. The British and the Americans came. We stayed in one refugee camp for a while, and then we moved to another, all in Austria. We lived in barracks. There wasn't any food for months, except polenta, which we called puliska. I cried all the time. I cried when I had to eat puliska. I cried whenever I saw a soldier. I cried whenever I heard a siren. And I heard sirens often in the camps, because fires in the barracks were common. One night the sirens sounded, and people were screaming, running out of the barracks. I ran outside, too, holding on to my mother. They pulled a body out of the outhouse, the body of a little boy. He smelled. He was covered in shit and was dead. He had fallen through the hole into the shit and drowned there. It is my first memory. I see his body, and it smells, and my mother is holding me and I am crying. When we had nothing to eat but puliska for a long time, my father opened the suitcase and brought out a pack of cigarettes to trade for meat. The pack felt light to him. He opened it. It was empty. He opened others. They were empty, too. My mother had smoked all the cigarettes and had carefully resealed all the packs. My father yelled at my mother, who yelled back at him. Every day from then on, my mother took me for a walk in the countryside. We hunted dry tree leaves together. She rolled the leaves up in a newspaper and sat down on the grass with me, and she smoked them. She was happy. Me too. As I grew older in the camps, the older Hungarian boys taught me things. Watching a Hungarian woman walk out of a barrack, a small group of us followed her as she ducked into the back of a garage filled with jeeps. There were American soldiers waiting for her, laughing. There was a mattress on the floor, and she got down on it as the soldiers laughed. She took her clothes off. We crept from jeep to jeep, trying to get closer. 
After her clothes were off, she twirled around on the mattress, smiling, licking her lips. One after another, the Americans approached her, naked now, their pimples bigger than I'd ever seen. They moved around on top of her. When each soldier was done, he dropped something on the mattress that one of the older boys said later was a nylon stocking. Then she got dressed quickly and ducked back out. A few days later, the same woman walked by us on the way to the milk line. The older boys started laughing and yelling, Kurva Nani, Kurva Nani, whore lady, whore lady. She put her head down, covered her ears, and ran away. I asked my mother what a kurva was, and she slapped me. This is something else the older boys taught me. Half a mile from the camp at the edge of the pine forest was a train track. The train came by at dusk each day. There were people, the older boys said, who would wait for the train each day. Then they'd catch it, the older boys said, and laughed. Did I want to see it? I agreed to go down to the tracks with them. It was winter, and there was snow on the ground. Dusk was fast approaching. We waited, hidden behind some trees. And then we saw her, a very old bird-like woman, dressed in black, a crow-like apparition against the harsh whiteness of the snow. Her head was down. A rosary was twisting in her hands. The older boys were excited. My knees felt weak. I felt like I was going to throw up. Hold him, one of the older boys said. Don't let him run away. The old woman went up to the train track and knelt down in the snow, shaking, holding onto her rosary. She was crying. Her lips were moving. It was getting darker. I heard a train whistle. Some of the older boys hooted. I heard the sound of the train now. She got up, took a few steps, and fell over into the middle of the track. Her head was down. She was on her knees, crumpled over. A black lump. She faced not the train, but the trees where we were hiding. There was hardly a thud when the train hit her. It sounded more like a squish. Blood sprayed onto the snow. I smelled vomit. It was mine. I was running, crying. I heard the older boys laughing as they ran after me. Okay was the first English word I learned. Vel was the second. Americans used it for everything, but no Hungarian knew exactly what it meant. Then my father taught me, Hello, how are you? And, Yes, sir, I like America very much. I learned to say those things in Spanish, Portuguese, and Italian, because we were trying to emigrate from the camps to those countries, too. The relief organizations would send their representatives from those countries, and my mother, my father, and I would appear before them. I would show off what my father had taught me. Then we would go back to the barrack and hear nothing from them again. And then, in answer to my mother's constant prayers, a miracle. We were informed we had an American sponsor, a man who had written that he would personally guarantee our livelihood in America. He was a Hungarian actor working in American films, playing mostly American Indians in John Wayne Westerns. His name was Yeno Mate. He lived in New York and Hollywood. My father didn't know him. He'd never heard of him. He was afraid it was some kind of mistake. Why would a complete stranger guarantee the livelihood of a 43-year-old man who couldn't do physical labor? But there was no mistake. Yeno Mate had written to the authorities specifically about sponsoring Istvan Esterhash, his wife, and his son. 
Plans were made. Dates scheduled. We would be transported by truck from Austria to Bremen, Germany. We would board the American refugee ship, the SS Henselmann, for an 11-day journey to New York City. There we would be met by a representative of Caritas, a Roman Catholic relief organization. We were even given a $5 bill so that we would have some money when we arrived. I had never seen a ship before. Children my age, I was five and a half in June of 1950, stayed with their mothers on board. The women slept on cots in the biggest room I had ever seen. Thousands of women and their children. The men were sleeping in another endless room. I slept in a cot next to my mother. When the women went to bed, they took their clothes off. Thousands and thousands of naked women of different shapes and sizes. I studied them. I was happy studying them. I look forward each night to my studies. A soldier saw my mother on the deck of the ship light up her newspaper filled with tree leaves. He threw it over the side, looked at her angrily, and walked away. My mother held on to me. I knew she was frightened. The soldier came back. He handed her three packs of American cigarettes and a shiny paper covering. She told him no in Hungarian, but he said yes, yes. He opened one of the packs and handed her a cigarette. She put it into her mouth. Her hands were shaking. He lit it for her with a match. She took a deep drag and looked away from him. I saw she was crying. I looked at him and he was crying too, but smiling at the same time. Then the American walked away. A soldier brought me a flute. I said, Well, okay. How are you? Thank you. He laughed and ruffled my hair. I loved my flute. I had the flute in my mouth all day and blew it as hard as I could. My mother and father were on deck in the sunshine. I was next to them blowing my flute. Up ahead we could see the tallest buildings I had ever seen. They hugged me and said, Look, Yoshi, look at America. We left the ship in a long line. When we got to the dock, the Caritas official, who was supposed to meet us, wasn't there. We were sweating and hungry. A man was selling fruit, and my father said he would buy me an apple. I had never tasted an apple. It was big and beautifully red. My father gave the fruit vendor our five-dollar bill. The vendor gave me the apple and put the five-dollar bill in his pocket and said, Thank you. Now we had an apple and no money. Then I ate the apple. The Caritas official was finally there, and he put us into a car. I had never been in a car before, only jeeps and trucks. It was like a small, beautiful room that moved. There was so much noise in America that my mother covered her ears with her hands. Cars honked. People yelled. Policemen whistled. The buildings were so big you couldn't see the sky. It was so hot it was hard to breathe. The Caritas man took us to a tall tenement building owned by a florid-faced, friendly Hungarian woman, Mrs. Santo. Her building was filled with other refugee Hungarians. She gave us a room, and she made us food. I stood at the window of our room looking far below at all the cars and blew my flute. There were more sirens in the streets of America than I'd ever heard in the camps. I cried all night and held my mother. I heard my father tell Mrs. Santo that he wanted to find our sponsor to America and thank him. Mrs. Santo asked him who the sponsor was, and when he said it was Yeno Mate, she started to laugh. She told my father that Yeno Mate sponsored anybody and everybody, 
that he had sponsored more refugee Hungarians all by himself than entire American organizations, that one day America would put Yeno Mate in jail. My father was frightened that if America put Yeno Mate in jail, then maybe America would send all the refugees he had sponsored back to the camps. I heard my father say to my mother that he was afraid of the Comches here, too. America was in a war with the Comches at a faraway place called Korea. What if the Comches bombed America? What if the Comches invaded America and the same thing happened here that had happened in Hungary? My mother's solution was to pray, and sometimes I prayed with her. Mrs. Santo found a job for my parents in White Plains, a town not far away. My father would be handyman and my mother a waitress at a place called Margie's Diner. Margie, Mrs. Santo said, was Hungarian. Her mother came from Hungary. Mrs. Santo walked us to a bus station. My father carried the suitcase. My mother smoked. I blew my flute. Margie spoke Hungarian. Her husband was an American named Ed. My father was Steve. My mother was Mary, and I was Joey. Ed also called me Hey Kid. When we arrived, Margie showed us where we would sleep, a garage filled with old furniture. My father said there was no room for us. Margie said there would be when he cleaned the furniture out. I kept blowing on my flute. Margie said, Stop that, you're giving me a headache. We cleared the furniture out. There were no lights except for a flashlight Margie had given us. We slept in one bed. I was sleeping between my parents. My mother's scream woke me up. Instantly, my father had the flashlight on. I heard loud, chittering noises, and I looked up. The flashlight was illuminating the girders above us. Rats were watching and talking to us, laughing, snarling, dancing their tails, flashing their teeth. My mother wore an apron and a white uniform. Ed called her Honey Bunch and Sveedy. My father was clearing a yard that was overgrown. I was drinking milk in the kitchen of Margie's diner. Margie and my mother and father were there. My mother was making sandwiches for the diners. I said, This milk doesn't taste good. Margie tasted it. It's fine, she said. I drank some more. It's spoiled, I insisted. My father tasted it. The milk isn't good, he told Margie. It's good enough for your son, Margie said. My father took the milk and threw it into her face. She started screaming at him. He started screaming at her. He called her a disno, a pig, and a kurva. She screamed, You dirty Nazi! You're lucky I hired you! He screamed, I am not a Nazi! My mother ran outside. Ed ran.